Everyone, welcome to the Prevail Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Cannon. In this episode, I was able to sit down with ultra runner Jake Jackson. Now, how do you go from someone who just eight years ago was overweight, smoking cigarettes, drinking too much alcohol, and basically just living as unhealthy of a lifestyle as possible to now being on the United States 24-hour running team? We get to tap into some of his habits, mindsets, routines, how he got there, his journey, how he balances his family life, and ultimately his five biggest tips to all of us. Hacks, things that he's done to really go to the next level with his training, and I'm so excited for you to hear this. Jake's just the most humble guy that you'll ever meet, and I think you're going to just pick up on that vibe immediately. So without further ado, the ultra trucker himself, Mr. Jake Jackson. Everyone, welcome to the Prevail Podcast. This is episode number one. You've got to start somewhere where we are bringing you every single week some of the world's best ultra-endurance athletes to tap into their habits, routines, how to be strong mentally, and everything else in between. Advice for newbies, advice for veterans. So I am super honored today to jump right into this first episode with ultra runner Jake Jackson, aka the Ultra Trucker, and we'll explain why he's the Ultra Trucker shortly. But um, so pumped to have you here, Jake. Welcome to the show, my man. Oh, thanks, Brock. It's uh, an honor to be on here for your uh, first uh, starting uh, podcast. It's an honor to have you on, man. So for those that are not familiar with you, and of course, many are at this point, give us just a little bit of your backstory. Who is Jake Jackson? You know, obviously more than just a runner. Tell us a little bit about your background. And I know you weren't always a runner, so maybe you could kind of touch on that and then we'll take it from there. Yeah, cool. Um, So I'm 42, married. Um, my wife, Missy, have uh, we have three kids, two older boys and a, a daughter. Um, I guess uh, I work at UPS. I'm a truck driver. That's hence the ultra trucker Um, (laughs) i've been working for ups for 23 years basically straight out of high school wow um yeah and um i guess i started running i would say seven or eight years ago as mostly a way to just get in shape um my wife and i led more of an unhealthy uh lifestyle uh smoked occasionally drank probably too much and it got to the point where our kids were getting older and we just made the decision that we wanted to be healthy for our kids mostly. Uh, ended up getting gym memberships, and um, I was never a big uh, like gym rat. Never got into lifting weights or anything like that. And you know, every gym has a treadmill, so I ended up jumping on that one day. And for whatever reason, I took to running on the treadmill, and that's basically how my running journey got started. Um, lost 40 pounds, 40, 45 pounds over you know, the first uh, year or two and uh, just been running further and further every year, it seems like. <laughs> so that's kind of the backstory. Yeah, that's incredible. And I, I think it was recent I saw on your wife's Instagram page, kind of a before and after. And you guys both, I mean, it's inspiring um, to see the life change that you guys made. So how, how old are your kids now? I have a 16, 14 and 10 year old. 
crazy. <laughs> yeah, which is so cool because I see how active you guys are in their lives. And sometimes I, I see you like you guys will take them for runs kind of around the neighborhood and stuff, too. Right. Yeah, actually, my my oldest son, he's in uh, track and cross country in, in high school. So, yeah, we try to get him out. You know, he's he's your typical teenager. You know, well, my, both my boys are, you know, they love their their electronic devices. And so we try to get them out as much as possible. And he's a, a sophomore right now. And he uh, after his uh, freshman year, he didn't run much at all in between, you know, the summer. And boy, when he came back to cross country, he was hurting bad. So he. He's, we've been trying to uh, keep him, you know, every week getting out there in between the two uh, uh, two uh, sports, you know. So, yeah, it's great. We, we try to get them out there as much as possible. Just be active, you know, just be outside, get the sun. So, Well, I love it. And that's one of the things I, I admire about you both is just how involved in your kids' lives you guys are and, and how it really is. Uh, around a healthy lifestyle choice. So maybe maybe we need to do a whole other separate episode on that because I think I think that's inspiring for for so many parents. But I want to start with you, man. So you literally went from trying to lose some weight to kind of tightening up the belt, so to speak, to get healthy. You jumped on a treadmill, and you know how many years ago was that? Now I would say probably like eight eight nine years. Yeah. So eight or nine years ago, and now <laughs> you are. You're on the world's team for 24-hour racing. I mean, and I can feel I can feel the the passion in in your Instagram posts, and you know, and and also just the gratitude, Jake. Like looking back, I I, I know that you know that, but tell us just a little more about your journey, and then I I want to get into your experience recently in France with with this race because it's incredible. Yeah, I mean, it's been one of those things that every year that I've been running, you know, you, you don't start out running one day on the treadmill and saying, you know what, one of these days I'm going to be on the U S team, you know, it's, it's right. more like these little mini goals and you just, you set one goal, you go after that one goal. And after you achieve it, you know, I, I just kept thinking, well, how much further can I go? How much faster can I go? Um, I running my first marathon, I thought, you know, seconds after running that race, I said, I'm never doing this again. <laughs> and then two days, three days later, when the soreness has kind of gone away and you forgot how bad it, it, you know, it felt to finish that thing, you're like, you know what, I think I could actually do that again. And, you know, that running a marathon, you get that idea, well, maybe Boston, there's that thing called Boston Marathon out there that maybe I can do. And you just, it just, it spirals out of control, really, just to be completely honest. You, you keep achieving these little mini goals and you're always wondering what's the next step? And I guess that's just how I ended up to where I am today. It's never, it's never been a plan. It's never been something I said, you know, one of these days I'm going to do this. And five years down the road, it actually happened. It's just been these little incremental steps and, you know, trying to progress myself, you know, push myself and just get a little bit better every each and every time. So what, if you had to summarize just one, two or three things that, that really drives you, because you are a driven dude. I mean, you don't just end up on the world's team because you're not driven. What what really pushes and, and motivates you more than anything? Um, well, to be completely honest, in the beginning, it was, you know, like I said, losing weight, trying to get uh, healthy. And then after I got that taste of winning my first 10K, it was like, oh, I kind of like that feeling. And then you start 
chasing those goals of winning. And, you know, I was never really the fastest person in that 10K uh, race that I won. It was just the, your local 10K. So there was really no, like, major competition. But, you know, I was never really a fast runner. So running marathons, I was never going to be, you know, that 215, 212 guy. Uh, my PR in the, in the marathon is 242, which is really far and away uh, what I ever thought I could achieve, you know, when I first started. And I guess later on, things started to uh, progress to where I guess I kind of fell into the trap of, you know, trying to prove myself to other people, um, trying mm. to make a name for myself. Uh, and I guess I, I, I kind of lost the love of just going out and running. And it was more of if I run this race and do well, maybe I'll get a little bit of recognition. And I, I dealt with that for especially once I started doing well in ultras, uh, late 2017, going into 2018, it, my why for running changed and it started to become, well, like I said, go, I'll go out and run this race. And if I do well, maybe a sponsor will pick me up or maybe I'll get, you know, recognized in ways that, you know, aren't really the, the best way to get, um, motivated to do things, but, at the end of the day, it, it did propel me to where I am today. And I don't know if I just had to go through that period of kind of chasing those uh, false dreams or false sense of being happy for what I was doing. But yeah, it, eventually, I guess in this past year, you know, I love all my sponsors. They're all uh, companies that I've worn and represented even before they sponsored me or helped me out but at the end of the day they weren't the things that made me happy you know it, it was mm -hmm. I had to realize to myself chasing those kinds of sponsorships they're great but they they're not the reason why I love running and so going back and, and looking back on that and figuring that out it, it's really helped me find my love for running again and this whole year has been spent just uh, reigniting that passion for, for uh, running again. I, I love that. And I think, I think a lot of, you know, more of our, our high-level amateur athletes and certainly elite athletes can all relate to that. It's like we, we are going through periods of time often where it is kind of about the recognition and it is a little bit of this addiction almost of what can I get with the next result? How do I match up to this person or this person? And so I think you bring up a great point there. Like ultimately it comes down to the love of running, strip that all away, strip the sponsors away. You know, why do you run? And, and I love that. I want to, I want to ask you about, cause I, I, I think about this often and I, I tell so many people that I'm running with this story. Cause I just think you're a cool dude, but like, <laughs> Tell us about tell us about one of your recent runs where you literally lined up your route to hit all these particular donut shops. And oh yeah, it, like like tell us all about this thing. It's awesome. Oh man, that was something that I've been cooking up for I don't know six or seven months. Yeah, it was just like one of those things that you know I, I don't eat donuts all that much. You know, it's kind of like one of those uh, I don't know once in a you know once in a while kind of deals. But you know, I had this idea of you know how. I, I'm coming up on my birthday in June, and uh, I said, you know, I, I don't think I'm going to run 
42 miles. That that wouldn't really make sense. So right. I just figured, well, I could run 42K, which is, I think, just about – it's almost a marathon, I think. Yeah. And so I'm like, what would be something that could be, like, motivate me to get through that and, and be fun? And so yeah. I figured, you know, there's, a, there's enough donut places around our house over here. So I figured, you know, I've never – tried doing any of these like donut challenges food challenges you know the guys from uh era viper they used to like doing a bunch of them on their youtube channel so i figured ah, oh, let's let's try this out and set up the route and uh yeah i had, took the day off from work on my birthday and ended up getting up at about five o'clock and ended up hitting uh 12 donut shops over the 42k for my birthday and man it was it was all beautiful you know i loved it in the beginning but after about the eighth stop it was just i was like picking out the smallest donut just to get down just to say i ate it <laughs> it, it was great because at the last stop my uh my wife uh met me there and i was just like i i don't even think i can run home from here and she's like well listen i'll have one with you and we'll run home together and so i ended up getting it all done but yeah it's it's something that i i want to do again but i, I don't want to do it by myself because it kind of it was be a lot more fun with a group totally so the rule was you had to eat at least one donut at every shop 12 stops and it was funny because i think one of the shops the lady i had been in there before and she i told her what i was doing because i was kind of filming it on my uh, gopro and she ended up giving me like six or seven donut holes extra and i was just like oh Oh, really i ended up giving it to somebody that you know homeless person that was there so i didn't end up eating those but yeah it was fun though Dude, that's so awesome, man. And, uh, you know, obviously anyone that knows you knows you're, you're burning those calories anyway, so why yeah. the hell not? <laughs> but, you know, how what a great example, I think, of just a way to mix up your training, make it fun. Um, I, you know, I, I was talking to another guy that we'll probably have on the podcast soon. He's a national champion in, in cyclocross in the cycling world. And same thing. He just said, when I took, when I took the focus off of the regimen, the schedule, the metrics, the Strava uploads, and just focused on having fun. He's like, my passion for the sport reignited. So I think that's just an awesome, awesome story and a great example of how to do that. So tell us, Jake, because I know it hasn't been easy. You have a family, you're working full time. I don't know when you sleep, but (laughs) tell us, tell us about your greatest struggle ever in this sport. I think the biggest thing, the greatest struggle I think happened um, probably five years ago. It was when I was still marathon training and hadn't really gotten into ultras too much. And I started to use running as a way to escape from the problems, you know, that we were having at home, uh, Mm -hmm. the stresses of having kids, the stress of life, really. I, Mm -hmm. I, I started to prioritize my running or being out by myself over dealing with some of the, you know, everyday issues that, you know, having a, mar- you know, being a married person with kids has. And it was rough. Um, it resulted in my wife and I splitting up for three years, two years, actually. And I think that was probably the, the roughest time in my life for me. And it, I look back and it was all because of running. So how do you take the Mm. thing that you get the most joy out of? And that's, that's the reason for your your marriage failing. Mm. And thankfully, um, you know, my wife and I, we ended up moving 
fairly close to each other for the kids and had that time off. And during that time, I jumped even harder into running. Um, mm-hmm. I was basically going to work, coming home. And if I didn't have the kids, I was running. Mm-hmm. And I made tremendous gains just in that time, just from pushing myself. And I'm thankful I didn't end up hurt, truthfully, the amount of uh, miles I was putting in. And over those two years, you know, I, I guess I, we, my wife and I both grew up. You know, we realized things are not, it's not all about these external uh, things that are going to make us happy. And Mm. thankfully, we ended up, you know, finding our love, strangely enough, through running. She started to run a lot more. And so we ended up going out on a few just kind of friendly, let's go out for a run together. And that kind of kindled the fire that we had when we first got married. And thankfully, through that, it's weird to say, you know, the thing that drove us apart was running, but the thing that also brought us back together was running. So, mm. yeah, that means those those two years were probably the roughest that I've ever had in my life. And uh, I, I I look back and say, you know, I should have done this, but really, I grew as a person. Um, I I just understand myself so much more going through that process and. A lot of the times when things are tough during races, I look back on that and I say, you know what, you went through that. This is this is nothing. This is something that you chose to do. And you're, you, I'm grateful for those difficult moments because, you know, having to go through separating and not being able to see your kids, that was way worse than whatever pain you're feeling in a race. Right. So it, it was hard and we got through it and we're so much stronger now. So I'm... I, I don't wish that on anybody, but, you know, I, I'm grateful for coming through it alive on the other side. Mm, thank you for sharing that, man. That's um, that's inspiring on, in so many ways. And I, I think a lot of our listeners are, are going to be able to relate to that because it is such a delicate balance, isn't it, man? It's yeah. like we're, we're out there by ourselves for so many hours training, especially if you're doing ultras, you're racing on weekends and and really like like one of one of my good friends brian paisley said it's like it's a selfish sport so if it's if it's a selfish sport how do we as these ultra athletes somehow take something beautiful from that experience and use it to serve in the rest of our lives you know like how do we take an experience from a hundred mile race and then pay it forward to the world in a way that gifts the best things to them. So it's like, it's such a delicate balance. So um, I'm glad you guys have, have found that balance. And, you know, I know Missy's quite the runner herself now. So it's like you guys get each other and you're, you're able to support each other in a big way. So to that end, you know, not everyone listening obviously has a spouse or partner that, that is maybe doing their same sport or runner, or maybe even understands it, but right. Would you guys make it work and so walk us through maybe like what does a typical week look like for you and I know there's never always a typical week it can vary, but like training wise and how you structure that what does that look like for you yeah I mean it's definitely been something that's evolved over the past couple of years um, like you said uh, my wife uh, she runs ultras too so it's always a balance she's been coming back from a bit of a a lengthy injury process and getting, uh, you know, getting back to a, a normal, uh, schedule with her running. Um, 
you know, we just, she would usually take the kids to school in the morning and I would uh, meet up with her a lot of the times afterwards or start from home and meet up with her wherever she was running from. And, you know, uh, weekends, you know, she always has Saturdays for her long runs and I always took uh, Sundays for my long runs. And there's times where, you know, things conflict and I'm, I, I'm fine with running out on the treadmill. So I'll, I'll go out to the garage and if she wants to go out and get a run done, uh, I'll get up and just run on the treadmill forever long. And thankfully, you know, our kids are old enough now that they can watch themselves. But yeah, it's definitely, uh, you know, we just kind of check in with each other every day um, and just make sure that we both are uh, conscious of each other's goals. And there's definitely times when, you know, she knows that I have a, an A race coming up and she's more willing to uh, bend in her schedule. And then there's times where, you know, she's got stuff that she wants to accomplish too. So I have to adjust to that. And it's just, it's just having an understanding of uh, each other's, you know, goals in life and, and, and just making things work really. Yeah, no, that's awesome, man. And, and I, and I know from you know talking to you outside of just this podcast that you kind of squeeze in wherever you can those moments oh, to yeah. train and yeah i mean you'll I, jump on that treadmill in the garage and just do what you can yeah uh, when you know when i was doing my build up for worlds you know even at work i'd go out and even if it was just you know half an hour just walking at a, a, a fast pace or going out for a short run you know just trying to get those miles and that time on feet whenever you can you know you just you got to do it. You know, it's not all, it's not all going to be fun to, to try to, you know, reach a level that you want to reach, but yeah, you just get it done no matter what, whatever, uh, sacrifices you have to make. Absolutely. And, and for those of us out here in the world that are looking at your training and knowing you just went to worlds and I'm going to have you get into 24 hour racing in just a second here, but give us an idea, like how, how many miles, on average, are you training per week? And what does that, and I know you've ramped up as, as well for a races, but what does that look like? Uh, well, this, this buildup, I did it a little bit differently. I focused a little bit more on just getting the miles in. Uh, they were more, more of a, I tried to run at the pace I wanted to hit at the 24 hour race. So I did a lot more slower, uh, pace runs and, I was trying to focus on at least getting close to a hundred miles, um, every week. And I did that for, uh, about six or seven weeks leading up to worlds. Um, I threw in a couple of, uh, I did one race, one 12 hour race about four or five weeks before worlds. And then I had a week off vacation and I ended up, uh, another bucket list thing that I wanted to do was run, it was 100K from our house here, well, close to San Bernardino. There's a, a, a bike path that runs all the way down to the beach in uh, Newport. And I got up one Wednesday morning and took an Uber over to this, the trailhead, and I did that. It was 100K, and I think it hit almost 90 degrees that, that day. Mm. So wow. it, was, it was rough, but uh, it was great training. Um, so, yeah, I was hitting roughly 100. I, I that week that I did the, the 100K, I hit 122, but I was mostly focused on, you know, time on feet. Um, like I said, I was getting in uh, good walks at work um, and then just trying not to, you know, tax, you know, do too much speed work. You know, I, it's really hard when you have a busy schedule like I do. It's hard to get up 
and have a set schedule and say, you know, this is what you're supposed to run. And so I, a lot of the times I'd get up, uh, go out for a mile or two. And if my legs felt fresh and good, I would turn it into a tempo run or throw in some uh, speed work. And that days when I felt, you know, I was a little bit tired or beat up, I just kept it at that lower intensity pace. Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, and anyone who's a runner understands that a hundred mile week is, is absolutely no joke. It takes, takes a lot. It's exhausting. Um, that's some serious commitment, man. So tell us, all right, let's get into 24 hour racing. So for, for someone that knows nothing about it, describe to us 24 hour racing and specifically the, the kind that you've been doing. And then let's, let's move into hearing about France. Yeah, sure. Um, so 24-hour races, basically, most of them are set up on a looped course, short loop. Um, the shortest I've run was at a high school track, and I think the longest was about a mile loop. They're usually somewhere in between there. Some, some of them are a little bit longer, but basically you just run for 24 hours, and you can stop, you can sleep, you can do whatever you want, but that, that time never stops. So whatever your final distance is after that 24 hours, that's what, what you end up with. And this was something that, I jumped into kind of as a lark, just I had done several mountain hundreds um, and there was uh, there's a race nanny goat that's close uh, about a half an hour from where we live. Just a local race, not, you know, not huge competition or anything like that, but it happened to fit into the year where I could I could try it out. And I ended up running 134 miles just to see if I could actually do it, just to see how far I could go. Right. That's, and that's basically incredible. how everything started. <laughs> so I, that it was, turned out I had a little bit of a knack for doing these timed races over, you know, the mountainous hundreds. Yeah, you know, and, and you certainly have. And it's just so it's just so crazy because I think most most people would see running <laughs> around a track or a, a one mile or less loop as mental torture so i i want to tap into your brain a little bit on that like how on earth do you do you mentally prepare yourself to run around a track for that long and and for those that are interested in trying it you know because there's obviously some element of joy to it or you wouldn't do it what advice would you give to them how do you how Uh, where do you go mentally for this you know, people ask me that and I, and I'm trying to, I try to think back at what in my life, like got me prepared for that. And really the only thing I can think of was the long hours at work when I was loading uh, packages into those long, you know, trailers. It's so (laughs) monotonous. It's so boring, but for whatever reason, I built up some kind of mental strength doing that, you know, year after year, day after day. I think I must have tapped into something in my brain that just allows me to almost zone out and just be focused on doing that one singular task. And, you know, I've always been really good at at pacing. Like I could kind of just lock into a pace and run that pace for, you know, however far I need to run. And that's been a big benefit in doing these races because there's really nothing that can get you to stop there's no reason to stop besides Mm -hmm. you know just fatigue or you know needing to go to the restroom i mean it's not like running up in the mountains where you're not going to run up every single hill you have to walk some of that 
So right. I, I think for whatever reason, I've been into being able to tap into that part of my brain where I can kind of shut everything off. And I mean, it's definitely boring at times. You definitely, you get to the point where you're like, I've seen that tree so many times. I've seen this same person so many times that it, it drives you nuts. But you just, I, I guess it's just, uh, especially with my training, you know, I go out uh, to one of the college tracks and just run around in circles just to, you know, build up that me- mental toughness. And I think maybe my love for running on the treadmill helps with that too. I don't know. It's it's definitely a, a, a strange thing to be able to do because most people just they look at you like you're nuts dude I don't even know why you would do that it is and and honestly to me I think that's it's like a whole different mental muscle that you've developed that is is so unique which is fantastic because you you've taken something that is so excruciatingly painful to most people and you've and you've made it your baby so tell us about your experience at 24-hour worlds in France recently. I know you took your family, which is amazing, um, but give us just a recap of that whole experience. Yeah, it, it's it's been hard for me to kind of wrap my head around the whole the whole journey leading up to that. I mean, when I first found out that I was able to run at Desert Solstice, which happened to be the race that qualified me to get on the U.S. team, um, just the thought of you know, that Desert Solstice is run on a, a high school track, and I had no idea what I was doing. I, it was another one of those, let's just see how far I can run. And I ended up doing far and away better than I thought I could, um, running 157 miles on the track. Um, even that experience alone was just unbelievable. I, and then I had people coming up to me afterwards saying, oh, you know, you ran enough miles to, you know, possibly be on the U.S. 24-hour team that would be in France in, in May the following year. Or they decided the team in May. The race, yeah. you know, obviously was in October. And, you know, I just didn't want to let myself believe that I could possibly run on a U.S. team. It was just it didn't make any sense to me. How, how could I have done that? And so I, I really didn't allow myself to believe it until they actually announced the team in May. And then af- after that, it was just like, okay, I I was looking at, you know, obviously my other teammates and I'm like, I'm the most, you know, unqualified person. I, I you know, I have nothing to show that I can actually do well. And I really kind of had a, a period where I had a little bit of a imposter syndrome where it was right. just like, I, I'm not, I, I haven't proven myself to, to be able to even be on this team. How, how am I ever going to be able to run that, that, you know, distance again? Can I even run that distance again? Yeah. And it took me a long time to like deal with that reality of maybe you can't, maybe that what you did at Desert Solstice, that was your once in a lifetime race. Maybe you can't do it again. And I had to come to terms with that uh, as I, you know, progressed through my training over those months leading up to the race in, in Albi. And it was rough. You know, uh, it's one of those things where when you far exceed your goals, you, you really don't know <laughs> if it can be matched again. You know, it's 
it's hard to say that you can do something like that twice, especially in something so long where anything can happen over 24 hours. Right. Um, Desert Solstice, it had one of the the largest like group of professional runners that were all trying to get on that U.S. team. Yeah. And how I placed second out of all of those top runners, you know, I, I look like I'm just I've only it was only my second time running 24 hours, you know. Wow. So it was hard to wrap my head around that for the longest time and going into the race out in Albany, I was still feeling the same way. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm lining up a bit, uh, you know, next to the best 24 hour runners in the world. Like yeah. these people, they're almost specialized in running these races. So yeah, it was, it was a bit overwhelming, I guess is the word to go into that situation and try to prepare for something that you're, I'm pretty new at. So but you leaned into it and, you know, you, you stuck to your training and despite those moments of maybe insecurity or, or feeling the imposter syndrome, which I think is completely normal. I mean, any champion will tell you, I think that they've, they felt that like, holy crap, like, do I belong here? Like, do I belong at the start line? Like, I think that's, that's, exactly. that's real yeah. and that's honest and that's normal. And everybody had their first, you know, <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> so you lined up and tell us tell us about race day like you literally had the race of your life i remember reading the recap so tell us more about that how Um, many countries were represented there jake there was 45 countries and i believe 350 or so competitors um not all of the countries had a full roster Uh, we were allowed to bring six men and six uh women from uh each country to compete and they would take the top three uh scoring members of each team and that would go into your team score okay so you know i we got out there about three or four days before the rates and i don't know if you've ever experienced jet lag but it was horrible (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah, you know it was a 12-hour flight and i didn't sleep much so i was really glad that we got out there early and got somewhat settled in before the race but yeah i mean the days leading up they had a uh you know, a few team check-ins and, you know, walking into the room with some of the U.S. top elite people. It was another one of those surreal, surreal moments where you're just like, am I in the right room? Because they all <laughs> seem to know each other and have raced together before. And then here I am, just the new guy. And But everybody was super welcoming. They, you know, it was great. Uh, we did a, a parade walk. In all of our, uh, you know, USA, all the all the countries had all their, you know, flags up, and that was pretty special to be able to do something like that. And then uh, leading up to the race, um, you know, we got out there on the on the track. It starts on a, a, a big stadium out there. And you start on the track and you run uh, one lap around the track, and then you exit the the stadium and uh, do. I think it's. 1100 meters around the outside of the stadium course and you just loop that um every hour for 24 hours okay yeah (laughs) so you did actually get out of the stadium that's yeah that's that's a little variety (laughs) yeah it was nice i mean it was funny because i told myself every sign every time you get on that track smile like Mm. and that was the one thing the one constant that i i'm really glad i did uh you know, enjoy the moment of being involved with something that 
is basically almost a once in a lifetime thing. I mean, I just smile. I was every time yes. I hit that track and got to see my crew and got to see my kids and my wife, I was just happy. I, you know, my wife was telling me after the race that she was having people come up to her and it was like, man, he just smiles all the time. What What is he so happy about? And, you know, it was just one of those, uh, you know, I've, re- I've heard a lot of people say that smiling, you know, when you're hurting, smiling for whatever reasons triggers something in your brain to like yeah. put that pain away. And yeah. it's true. It, it's the first time I've ever done that in a race. And yeah, it worked great. Dude, that's, that's amazing. I mean, gratitude. You just were grateful as all get out to be there, which is, uh, is such an amazing quality. So you ran for 24 hours and give us a recap. <laughs> you, you had the race of your life. You ended up in seventh overall. Is that correct? Seventh overall. Yeah. I lost the sixth spot, uh, late in the race. Um, you know, it was weird. The first 12 to 14 hours kind of just went without a hitch. Um, I was taking my, uh, spring energy gels every, uh, one, every half hour. Mm-hmm. And you know, that, I think a big key for me during that race, and it's something that I had practiced at the 12 hour race is to kind of, you know, it's, it's hard to break up a 24 hour race. You know, you're running the same loop. Um, you know, when you, you do a mountain race, you, you have these aid stations where, you know, you ask how far to the next aid station, you know, two, five miles, you know, seven miles. So that's your goal. You, you've got to get that seven miles, but yeah. how do you break something up like that when you're seeing your crew, basically like eight or nine minutes, you know, it's, it's so repetitive. So what I ended up doing was I set my watch for every 30 minutes to, to go off. And that's when I would take my nutrition, get my water, get my, uh, you know, gel or whatever food I was eating. And every time that watch would go off, I'd say, okay, you've run 30 minutes. That's, you've done that a million times during training. You can run another 30 minutes. And yeah. that was my, that was like my carrot, you know, 30 minutes. That's all you got to do. So that, that was probably one of the biggest, uh, mental things that helped me during the race. It was just every 30 minutes you, you get to eat something. And, uh, that's what I stuck with. And so, you know, the first, you know, like I said, 12 to 14 hours went without any problems. Um, the wind kind of kicked up later on in the race during the night, which made things a little bit difficult. And, um, Thankfully, it never really got super cold. Um, I ended up throwing on some uh, arm sleeves during the night. But, yeah, I, like I was saying, the last four hours is when things really started to get rough for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I noticed that my my I was still moving good. I was still running at a, a pretty good pace. But for whatever reason, I think I was leaning forward a little bit too much. So I'd find myself... Um, going my legs were moving fast but i couldn't keep them under my body Mm. so there'd be times where i would get going and i'd look down my watch and be like oh shit i'm doing like a seven minute pace right now i need to slow down like because my legs were moving so fast and i think a lot of that had to do with maybe my form um my core wasn't as strong as i you know thought it was i don't know it's just one of those things that i'm i'm gonna have to address but leading up to that 20 hours, that was the most I'd ever consistently run during a race, especially during the 24 hours. Um, at desert, I had done a lot of walk breaks, which Mm -hmm. I thought that was something that I should do. So it was just kind of like a learning process. But this time I think with 
the training that I did leading up to it, the high, higher mileage and just training my body to run at a certain pace. It was, I was able to run at that pace a lot longer. So yeah, those last four hours, um, they got, they got tough. Uh, thankfully, uh, Greg Armstrong with it, my teammates, he, he wasn't having a great race, but he was basically the one person that got me through those four hours. He, he was just, he stuck by me. We, we ran together. I don't even know how many miles, but he, you know, he would look over and say, you know, straighten your back up, you know, you're leaning too far mm. forward or, you know, fix your form or, and just give just constant encouragement. So he, he's the one that, that got me through those last four hours. And yeah, uh, when, when that, the sun came up, of course, things kind of turned around a little bit and you knew you're, you're at the end. Um, it was just, it, it was just magical. The, the last hour, especially, you know, everybody was pushing themselves so hard. And like I said, I got past, uh, probably with a half an hour left, the guy went by me and he was like, come on, man, you, you keep up with me. Let's go. And I'm just like, Oh man, I, I just can't keep <laughs> up with you, dude. You're just, you're, you're looking too strong. And yeah, I was just, I was hoping I could just hold on. And really when I went into the, the world's, my biggest goal, well, I had two biggest goals, two big goals. Uh, one was to reach 160 miles. I did that with about an hour and a half, hour and 15 minutes to go in the race. So once I hit that, I was, I was really happy. And the second one was to be one of the scoring members for the U S team. Yeah. And, you know, being able to reach both of those goals and, you know, still push on and hit 165 right at the end. It was just, it was like a dream come true. It was just, I couldn't believe it. I, you know, I look back on that day and yeah, I, I, it wasn't the best race, but it was by far the, the best experience at any race I've ever been a part of. Oh yeah. And without a doubt, something you'll never, ever, ever forget. And yeah. so, so magical in, in every respect. So for those of us that are out in our brains trying to compute the average pace that you did for 24 hours and doing 165 miles, what what were you averaging per mile? Um, let me check real quick. I forget exactly what it was. <laughs> so it's uh, about an 8.44 pace. Incredible. 24 hours. Yeah. It's absolutely incredible. Unreal. And I guess that the training worked because all of my training was, I, I kept them right, right between 8 and 8.30. So... I don't know. Uh, definitely something I'm going to use in the future. It's incredible. Okay. So one of the things that we're, we're going to be doing on this show is, is just really practical advice. And I think it's going to be super fun. And since you're the first, you know, I asked you before, what are maybe the top three to five methods, practices, or things that have made the biggest difference for you in your training? And so mm -hmm. I would love to get into some of those and you can kick it off wherever you want. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that I switched up a lot more training for worlds where I didn't do in the past was, um, I knew, you know, when you're out running a loop, you don't really need to take much with you if you even carry anything at all. So yeah. I was getting really good at, um, going out on the longer runs where I would specifically go out to a track or there was a park that had a one mile loop and I would basically set up a table and mm -hmm. I would just practice, you know, every 30 minutes, grabbing a water bottle, having, having my, my, uh, spring energy gels in it. And I would just practice eating 
basically on the go. Mm. Um, you know, you, you don't want to spend any time at those aid stations. You don't want to spend any time at the crew because that clock's not stopping. And if you can train yourself to eat, you know, and drink as you're moving without even really breaking a breaking stride, I thought that was something that was important. Um, I noticed there was several times you'd go by the, the aid station and people were just, you know, you want to browse, you want to see what they got, you know, you're yeah. like, oh, that yeah. looks kind of good, but maybe not right. this. And, right. and I've always noticed, you know, when I stop when or when I have to stop, it takes me a little bit to get my legs going again. So if you can yeah. just figure out how to just hand off the bottle, you know, from your crew, um, telling your crew like the lap before you come in exactly what you want. That yeah. was a huge help too. I was just communicating with uh, Camille Heron's husband was uh, Connor was crewing uh, both myself and her. So every time I'd come through, I'd be like, you know, next lap, you know, I need some, some chips or something salty or, and then he would yeah. have it for me the next lap. So that was a big, something that I, I definitely focused more on training. Okay. That's great. That's great advice. And I think for, for everyone listening, even if you're not doing looped courses, I think, I think, we all have seen that the champions are the ones not spending too much time at the <laughs> yeah. station looking for gummy bears. Like they're, exactly. they're, they're, it's a thing. They're in and they're out and it saves serious time and can be places that they can make up in, in races. So whether you're doing a 50 K or a loops course, I think that's great advice. What else yeah. do you have for us, Jake? Um, something else that I did quite a, uh, a lot is I wanted to work on my, my mental side of running these races. Um, I did a lot of runs that were just, you know, mind-numbingly boring. Long treadmill runs. Um, I have a, we have a three-mile loop that my wife and I do that's close to the house that I would go out and just run that for hours. And it's something where almost all of my runs, you know, from my house, I go up the same street every single mm -hmm. time. Yeah. And that gets boring, you know. So you want to train yourself to, you know – get used to being bored get yeah. used to just the monotony of running the same exact route every single time and try to find ways to make it fun i mean at, out at worlds there were sections i almost i i don't remember the names of them at the time but i i named little sections like oh here's you know this bathroom the stinky bathroom or you know the <laughs> the, the tripping there was one section that had a a bar kind of sticking out where if you weren't paying attention, you'd run into the bar and you, know, <laughs> <laughs> you just come up with these little names. And every time you'd pass that, you know, it was, it was kind of like, uh, something to look forward to basically C kept your mind going. Uh, but yeah, I mean, just in training in general, you just, you to, to make things as boring as possible was something that I, I think I, I gained a lot from. That's incredible. That's, uh, so everybody take note, that is a, a serious secret ninja tip on <laughs> how to build mental toughness, make it boring. That's kind of like the exact opposite, I think, of what so many people are preaching. But I, I think I think that's gold right there, Jake. Like the more you can mentally prepare yourself to deal with that in training, you know, come race day, you're going to be that much better equipped. Yeah, so I, I'm, I love that. It wasn't like every every run I did like that I there was still definitely times where I would be like oh screw this I'm getting up in the mountains I need some trail time you know yeah I need to get some inspiration outside of doing this boring stuff it was just I did that maybe once or twice a week if that 
mm-hmm. just to mix it up. Yeah, no, that's great advice, man. Fantastic. What what other things have made the biggest difference for you in, in your career looking back? Um, another thing that I, I, you know, going into worlds, I, I thought for sure in the past, I, when you're running out there for that long, you start using any kind of excuse to stop. And bathroom breaks has always been, you know, the surefire way for me to just give an excuse to stop. Mm-hmm. So especially at the, I, I ran that 12 hour race out in uh, Arizona. It was on a, uh, geez, what was it? I think it was a 700 meter loop, but I told myself, anytime you feel like you need to go to the bathroom, run like six or seven more loops. Cause most of the time <laughs> you really didn't have to go that bad. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it was just your mind telling you, you need to stop <laughs> when you really, you did it. And that ended up being something that I used during the race too, where you feel that, you know, that feeling like, Oh, I kind of need to go pee, you know, uh, should I stop? And I'd say, Nope, just run like five or six more laps. And every single time I would get through it, I would, I wouldn't even have to go. It was just oh, wow. your brain telling you, 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 you need to stop. Yeah. So that, yeah, that was another one of those things that I, I tried out and it ended up working really good too. Cause there's been several races where you, you, you feel like you, you're going to explode and then you stop and you're like, that's all, that's all that's going to come out. That's you know, <laughs> what you stopped for that little bit, you know, it's just a total waste of time. So kind of, you know, asking yourself, am I, am I mentally looking for excuses to stop right now? Or can I really just keep her? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's brilliant. That's really brilliant. Um, fantastic. So that's, that's three things we've covered. Um, anything else? Oh, I guess one thing, um, it's not really a, you know, a big thing. Everybody, uh, working on your core, I think was one thing that I focused a, a, quite a bit on, um, you know, running for that long, things start to, you know, get sloppy in your form. And yeah. obviously I need to work on that quite a bit more. Um, but having that, that core strength, I think, you know, you always see some of the guys that, have, you know, doing these 24 hour races and they get the crazy lean going on off to one side yeah. and they look like they're about ready to fall over. And that's yeah. all just, you know, core strength. Um, that's one thing that I, you know, it's hard to fit that in, you know, you either go out for, you know, your long run and you, you're, you've got to crunch on time and you got to get to work. But I think, taking care of some of those, uh, those muscles that support your running are, if not more important, just as important as actually getting the miles in. So that's, a, that's another thing I need to work on obviously. And so, yeah, that's probably one of the last tips I think I had. I think that's huge. And if you don't mind me asking, like what specifically did you, or do you do for core? Do you do planks? Do you do sit-ups? What, what works for you? Yeah, planks was the big thing. I, I always try to get um, at least a minute, you know, side planks on each side and then just you mm-hmm. know, the normal plank um, every day. I try to get that in every day. And then the days where I was trying to get in a little bit more uh, strength training, doing, you know, squats and stuff, I would do crunches, um, just laying flat on your back and doing leg lifts was, mm-hmm. you know, beneficial. Just trying to, you know, work all the core muscles, everything, your whole uh, – midsection of your body 
Yeah, that's that's so key. And I'm going to I'm going to raise my hand too, of, of being completely guilty for avoiding core because I get it, man. Like we all want to just run out the door. We're crunched on time. Yeah. We're like, oh, this is way more important. But it's one of those things that can certainly come back to bite us and, you know, get us injured and, and throw stuff off in our back. It's it's so important. Exactly. I think I think if we all did like literally just got in the habit of like first thing in the morning, we get on the ground, we plank for, you know, one to two to three minutes or whatever we can do. Like it's better than nothing. And it's start for oh, yeah. for runners. And, you know, I, I think it goes for actually all all athletes core is always going to be a huge, huge part. So I love that, man. Fantastic. So, okay. Um, to kind of wrap this up, what, what advice would you give for someone that was just like you that is just starting out getting into the sport? What advice would you give to them? Um, I think the, the biggest thing to remember is that, you know, it, it's a process, you know, Yes, you know, you see social media, you have people who, you know, you, you fall into that comparing yourself to others game. And I've been, you know, guilty of doing that a lot, too. But when you're very first starting out, you know, just take things really super easy. Um, I think the biggest benefit to running long term is just having a huge base. And I mean, that's not something that happens over a week or a month. For me, it's happened over all these years. Yeah. There's very few people that can go from not running at all to running, you know, at a high level. It, it takes these years of uh, accumulation of just the miles and uh, having your muscles and your, your tendons and all that build up strength to be able to propel you for these longer, you know, longer races. And I think, you know, people rush into it and they just they want to feel that feeling of running a long race or finishing something that maybe their body isn't quite ready for them to do. And it's just, uh, just to be patient, I think is the biggest thing with running. Yeah, that's, that's so true, man. And we're, we all see these people all the time. We're like, Oh, they are an overnight success. I remember seeing one of these guys recently, he was pretty new to the sport of ultra running and he was He's winning races and all this stuff. And everyone's like, dude, where did this guy come from? And then you do a little bit of research and you realize he was like a top triathlete for the last 10 years, you know? Like, right. so yeah. Everybody, everybody pays their dues and you know, for ultimately sure. there's, there are no overnight successes. So I think that's great advice to, to the new, the newbie just starting out, just be patient. That's a process. And so last it. question. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just enjoy and the whole process. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. So last question for you, Jake, what does it mean to you to prevail? To me, you know, I, I, I think a lot of just my kids, uh, when I think of prevailing and, and trying to set a good example for them, you know, having them there during worlds and, and seeing, I mean, they've been to my races, they've seen me, uh, suffer, but you know, they suffer too, you know, those, those weekends where they're like home from school and dad's got to go out and do, you know, a 30 mile run and be gone all day. You know, they, they suffered just as much as I do. And, mm. you know, for them to be able to see me reach my goals, train hard, reach my goals. I think that's something that's, uh, hopefully, you know, they'll, they'll take in their lives. Like my dad did this. Why can't I do something that's, you know, just as harder or harder 
You know, yeah. he survived, he trained hard for something and he prevailed, you know, and, and all that hard training paid off in the end. You know, hopefully yeah. that, that, that trickles down to them in their life. And yeah, I think that's, that's one of my, the biggest motivators, you know, for me in, in running, you know, I just want to try to set a good example for my kids. Yeah. Yeah, without a doubt, man. And I'm sure that they see that. And, and that's, that's what I admire about you. And, um, I think everyone else does as well. It's just the balance that you have in life and your emphasis on, you know, not just being a great runner, but being a great human. So I, I honor you for that, my friend. What, what's the best way for people to reach out, uh, on social media and say, what's up to you or to follow your journey? Um, best way is Instagram. That's where I spend most of my time. Um, ultra underscore trucker. Um, I'm also on Facebook too. You can reach out to me there on uh, Jake Jackson. So awesome. Awesome, man. And we'll have links to your, uh, social media handles on the show notes here as well. So, well, Jake, cool. thank you so much, man. An honor as always. I'm, I'm so excited to continue to follow your journey and, uh, dude, you're, the first guest on on uh, on the Prevail podcast. So congratulations, awesome, we made it. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> All right, and everyone for listening, thank you so much. We're gonna have some amazing guests uh, in coming weeks, and we hope that you tune in. Thanks so much, guys. Hey guys, Brock here. One last thing before you go. Did you enjoy that episode as much as I did? I think the thing that I got out of that episode the most was that we've got to keep it fun. We've got to keep it fresh. And Jake's story of hitting all those donut shops to me was just the coolest thing. Now you might not be into that, but find a way in your everyday workouts and in your everyday life to just have fun to mix it up so you don't get in a funk. Keep the routine fresh and exciting. If you guys have enjoyed this, please feel free to share. Feel free to subscribe. It means a lot to us. We're looking to do some big things with the show and do some giveaways and some other really fun things. And if you have feedback on potential guests for the future or how we can just make this show even better, feel free to drop us a line. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you on the next episode. Peace. Mm-hmm.